Would you pray with me, church? And so God, I pray that now through your powerful, supernatural Holy Spirit, that you would just minister to us just richly this evening. That though we are scattered all over the place, enjoying this service from different locations and in different homes, I pray that you would unite us in a sense of awe and wonder and thanksgiving and joy and delight as we think about your son who came to be with us, God with us, Emmanuel. Thank you for your son, Jesus. I pray that over the next few minutes as we consider him and and things said about him in your word, I pray that our hearts would be stirred and moved and that faith would grow. And I pray that you would give us faith and hope and love and joy and peace as we consider you, as we think about what you have done for us. Remind us this Christmas of your great love for us. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Merry Christmas, Austin Stone. My name is Ross and it's just a privilege to be able to share with you briefly this evening. I hope and pray that it is a blessed Christmas for you all. But I do know full well that it is a season that can have a mix of emotions attached to it. It's always the case in the Leicester household at this time of year. This Christmas day, it'll be 30 years since my grandfather passed away. On Christmas Eve, the 24th, my, my grandmother died 25 years ago. And on, and on Boxing Day, the 26th, uh, my aunt Elaine died eight years ago. And so these few days, the 24th, 25th, 26th, are always times in our home when we reflect on some of the empty seats at the table. And I know we have largely empty tables this year. But it is a time when we reflect not just on our, on our hopes and on our longings and on our excitement and on our yearnings, but also on some of our losses and on some of our waiting and on some of the pain. And, and we remember that we have a God who joins us in the midst of that, who doesn't gloss over any of that, but who is Emmanuel, God with us, submitting himself to the experience that we have so that he can empathize with us and be kind and loving and near to us in the midst of it. And this year, Christmas comes at the end of what has been a tumultuous year for many of us. And I know that for some of us, 2021 is just the great hope. But I wanna just warn our hearts a little bit against trying to just get through this year in the hope that next year will somehow magically solve everything. This year has reminded us of a lot of our shortcomings and a lot of the brokenness of the world. I think we do well to just press into that a little bit and just remember that God has come to join us in that and that He Himself has actually overcome this world, which is full of sorrows as we have experienced. But what a relief it has been this Advent season then at the end of this tumultuous year. It's been so good for my heart to just focus on Advent and just to breathe in just briefly some hope and some joy and some peace and some love. And it's this love that I wanna focus on very, very briefly this evening. You see, at Christmas we remember and we celebrate that God the Father sent Jesus the Son by the power of the marvelous Holy Spirit to be with us, to be our Emmanuel. And we mustn't forget, friends, because we can sometimes, 
we mustn't forget that love is what motivated that sending. And love is what motivated that arriving. Christmas is a time when we are surrounded by constant reminders of the love of God in and through the sending of Jesus Christ. You see, friends, this year, we don't need to wonder if God loves us. Christmas reminds us that God loves us. It's evident in the message itself. One of the most famous verses in all of scripture, and we've referenced it already in the liturgy this evening, is John 3.16, but it's phenomenal for us to consider. It says, for God so loved the world. He didn't hate it. He loved the world and the people in it. In what way? That he gave his only son. The sending of Jesus Christ is an act of love. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, God's love is the motivation for the giving of this gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Elsewhere in the scripture, John tells us again in 1 John 4, he says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. It's not just the the motivation for the sending, but it's the, the great manifestation of his love in the sending so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And friends, so, just so simply, <laughs> so simply at this Christmas, but, but such a powerful message. Can we just stop and remember that God loves you, that he has evidenced that for all time by sending his son into the world to, to be born and, and to live this humble life and to serve us in his death. He, he arrived in love, and that's what I want us to anchor our hearts on tonight. The incarnation of Jesus reminds us so tangibly, so tangibly of the love of God. And in a time when I know many of us have been forced to wonder about God's love for us because of the difficulty of our circumstances, this gives us a real chance to attach it to something, something real and tangible and true and in and immovable. This Christmas, please remember this simple fact. God loves you and has shown it to you already in the sending of his son. You don't need to wonder. You don't need to doubt. You don't need to worry. He loves you. And so Christmas reminds us that God loves us. But secondly, Christmas reminds us how God loves us. Not just that he loves us, that should be enough, but in the way that he sends his son, in the glorious story of the incarnation, in the incredible account of that first Christmas, we're given clues of how God loves us. Uh, It's just amazing to me how this gets displayed. The birth of Jesus tells us some important things. And so I could speak about this all night, but I know you don't want to wait too long. And so I'm just gonna speak of five ways that the, the, the first Christmas, the incarnation story speaks of God's love, of how He loves us. Uh, first, He loves us proactively. 
Now this is essential because this is one of the ways we measure love in relationships, isn't it? Uh, who makes the first move? Uh, who's the first to call? Who's the, who's the first to offer affection? Uh, I mean, I've done this with my friendships. I'm, I'm about to text something encouraging and then I go like, wait, why is it always me, right? Why do I have to be the proactive one? I'll wait and see when they're gonna reach out to me first. This is a measure of love. But in the incarnation, we have the ultimate first move in the history of the cosmos. God goes first. While the world wasn't looking for Him or reaching to Him, God moved, God sent, and His Son arrived. He comes to us long before any of us even know that we need Him. And I love that he made this move in the quiet of one of Israel's darkest seasons, showing us that he doesn't abandon us even when things look hopeless. They felt like God had left the building and that he had broken covenant with them. And then there he was working behind the scenes. They thought his work of love towards them was over, but he was just get, getting going. He was moving. Friends, I love the thought that across the millennia, God in love has been making a plan to win us back to himself. Every Christmas I reflect on one of my favorite pictures. It's a picture that was painted originally by Sister Grace Revington. It's a picture that hangs in my office and that I look at all the time. It's a picture that's called Mary Comforts Eve and it'll be on your screens now. It shows so much of the plan of redemption as God's ongoing proactive love for sinners. It shows how from the very beginning, there was a plan, a plan in place to pay for sin, a plan in place to crush the head of the evil serpent, a plan in place to win back those who had seemed so far from Christ. Friends, God has been working on loving you and saving you long before you got to working on rejecting him and rebelling against him. In the great relational standoff of the cosmos that our sin introduces, God moves first, sends his son. And while we are yet sinners, he lives and dies for us. He loves us proactively. Secondly, he loves us humbly. Oh, the son of God, empties himself. I love the story of Christmas, of all the ways for God to enter the scene. We would have thought he would have been in Buckingham Palace with a grand announcement and paparazzi and all of it. He joins with humanity in the most humble of circumstances. The way he is born is incredible. As a baby, think about it, that the Savior enters the world in this most humble of form. Ba babies are the most helpless creatures. I don't know if you've been around a newborn recently. They, they can't do anything. They just lie there. And Jesus comes in that weakness and appears in that form as the most vulnerable of all creatures and yet he is the creator of all things. It's an astonishing collision of God's transcendence and, 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 and our temporary nature coming together through the humility of God. The one who made the stars, who stretched out his arms, and spoke the cosmos into being, gets swaddled and lain in a manger. The holder of the universe gets held by a terrified teenage mum. The, the, the creation speaker cries out as an infant, regardless of what the Christmas song says, he really, really 
cried. The maker of the world comes to a tiny and terrified and occupied town. He made the sky above their heads and they couldn't put a roof over his. Why, he is humble. The king of kings is born to a vulnerable family in poverty and obscurity. This is our God. This is how he comes to be with us. What kind of God is this? Well, Philippians 2 tells us that this is because our King Jesus Christ is humble. He empties himself to come and be with us. The gentle humility of Christ is astonishing. He loves us so much that he humbles himself even to death and death on a cross to be with us, to love us, to save us and to secure us forevermore. Thirdly, he loves us empathetically because he's so humble and comes and joins in our experience. He knows what it's like to be us. He loves us from a position of knowing. Isn't it incredible to be loved by someone who knows how you feel? Well, in the person of Jesus Christ, we have someone who always knows how we feel and who has submitted himself to the mundanity of most of human experience, worked a job, lived under submission to parents, got betrayed by friends, so that whatever we go through, he can say, oh, I know how that feels, poverty, oh yes, I remember that, temptation, yes, I've been there, I've seen all of that, betrayal, oh, I've, I've felt that, I've felt that. He submits himself to the fullness of the human experience and doesn't shy away from any of it. I'm gonna do something now that no preacher should ever do. I'm gonna quote a sermon from another preacher who's way better than me. And so you'll remember his words and not mine. I do this because I couldn't say this as well as he said it. And so on Christmas Eve of 1854, Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached a sermon on the wonder of the empathy of God with us, Emmanuel, and what it means. Here's what he said. Just listen to these words. And it's gonna be old English, but just listen to them. It says, this is his name, God with us. God with us by his incarnation for the august creator of the world that walk upon this globe. He who made 10,000 orbs, each of them more mighty and more vast than this earth became the inhabitant of this tiny atom. He who was from everlasting to everlasting came to this world of time and stood upon the narrow neck of land betwixt the two unbounded seas. Believer, he is God with thee to protect thee. Thou art not alone because the Saviour is with thee. Put me in the desert where vegetation grows not, I can still say God with us. Put me on the wild ocean and let my ship dance madly on the waves, I would still say Emmanuel, God with us. Mount me on the sunbeam and let me fly beyond the western sea. Still I would say, God with us. Let my body dive down into the depths of the ocean and let me hide in its caverns. Still I could as a child of God say, God with us. I and in the grave, sleeping there in corruption, still I can see the footmarks of Jesus. He trod the path of all his people and still his name is God with us. Tis the sufferer's comfort, tis the balm of his woe, tis the alleviation of his misery, tis the sleep which God giveth to his beloved, tis their rest after exertion and toil, ah, and to finish. God with us, tis eternity's sonnet, tis heaven's hallelujah, tis the shout 
of the glorified, tis the song of the redeemed, tis the chorus of angels, tis the everlasting oratio of the great orchestra of the sky. God with us, Emmanuel, our empathetic, loving, kind Savior. Fourth, He loves us sacrificially. The Son of Man, we're told, comes to serve and to give Himself as a ransom for many. His whole life is sacrificial service all the way to the cross. And again, this is one of the ways we measure love, isn't it? What does it cost you to love me? What are you laying down to to show me your love? When we think about what Christ sacrificed to come and save us, it boggles the mind and ought to enrich and enliven our hearts. He gave up heaven for the humble grittiness of life here on earth. He gave up the mansions of the eternal home for a manger. He sacrificed the worship of eternal celestial beings for the mocking, doubting and accusations of the very people that he made. He sacrificed his crown for a cross. Oh friends, his love for you is costly. Don't doubt his love this Christmas. Remember the cost that Jesus paid to secure that love for you and to show it and to manifest it in such a powerful way. And lastly, because it's such a costly love, we can say that his love is comprehensive. He loves us comprehensively. He goes all in. He doesn't hold back. This is our ultimate test of covenantal love. This is what we wanna know. Will you love me to the end? Will you love me if dot, dot, dot? Will you love me when? Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> In John 13, one, we're told that those who were given to Jesus, he loved to the very end, to the uttermost, the King James tells us. What a beautiful image. Jesus says, you gave me these to love and I loved them to the uttermost. Uh, my love was sufficient for everything, for all of their sin, for all of their doubting, for all of their wrestle, for all of their struggle, for all of their betrayal. I loved them to the uttermost. Friends, He loves you to the very end. To the parts of yourself where you feel completely unlovable, He loves you even there. How high? And how wide and how deep and how long is the love of Christ and what can separate us from this love? Nothing. He loves you to the very end. And so friends, what a thought. Christmas reminds us that God loves us. Christmas reminds us how God loves us. Then lastly, Christmas reminds us who it is, who God loves, what sort of people is this love for? Well, in the the first Christmas accounts, we have some remarkable clues. In the Gospel of Matthew, there is Jesus' family tree, which is startling. We expect that the Savior of the world, the Son of God, would have an impressive royal bloodline. We expect it to be a who's who of pomp and ceremony, a hall of fame of piety and prestige. And instead, It reads like an ensemble of embarrassment that people would rather want hidden and there it is proclaimed on the front page. There are fraudsters and adulterers and murderers in there. There are sinners and those who have been deeply sinned against. There are the weak and the betrayed and and those who will betray others. Why would God want all of that included in the earthly bloodline of Jesus Christ? 
Well, it shows that Jesus came to join us in the midst of our mess. He didn't fake it. He didn't stand aloof, protected by a bloodline that kept him from the complications of everyday families. He waded right into the middle of the mess. It shows that he really loves to redeem messy stories, kind of like the one we're currently living. The family tree that Jesus comes from shows us the kind of messy people that Jesus comes for. And that's really, really good news. He then chose to be born into a vulnerable family to young parents who would spend a lot of his earliest life on the run as refugees seeking asylum. He then made his announcement to the most unlikely of people. He announced to shepherds and to foreign princes showing that his love and his message of the gospel were for all sorts. What a loving saviour we have. Look at who he announces it to. He's declaring to us, you're not too rich or too poor. You're not too far or too near. You're not too prominent or too overlooked for the love of God. Our beloved church family, the message tonight is so simple. It's almost embarrassing, but I pray that it sinks into your heart. God loves you. God loves you. This Christmas, please remember that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, He adores you and has already made you righteous in His Son. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, then this love, this most powerful force in the cosmos, you must investigate this love. You must find out who this man Jesus Christ is because He is the tangible way that this love is made manifest for you and He is your way back to relationship with God. Oh friend, please make a commitment in this Christmas season to to investigate the love of Jesus towards you. Oh, I pray that you would find faith in this season. When we look upon the familiar signs of Christmas this year, let us remember that God loves us, that He shows us how He loves us in the person of Jesus Christ and that He shows us that His love is for all sorts of people. It always has been and it always will be. You're not excluded. He loves you. Merry Christmas, Austin Stone. Father God, thank You for these tangible reminders that we have of Your love. Thank You for an opportunity at the end of the year to remember Your Son, Jesus, and to remember that You You didn't abandon us in the difficulties of 2020. Rather, you sent your son to be with us, to live through this all with us so he can be empathetic for us. We have this wonderful, sympathetic high priest right now, who right now (laughs) is praying for us, preparing a place for us. Oh Lord, I pray that your love for us would explode in our hearts and result in great joy. Lord, if there's anyone watching this broadcast who's never known the love of God, I pray that they would begin to taste it tonight, that your Holy Spirit would begin to revive their heart to just whisper over them, I love you, I love you. I'm chasing you down, come to me, I love you, I love you. And Father, I pray for your saints, especially those who have been through a lot this year, that they would not doubt the love of God for a second, but they would look again at this marvelous scene of God with us. Be certain of your love and be determined to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen.